If you've watched the weather forecast on TV, chances are you've come across something called the Doppler radar. Doppler radar. Now we've got a few flurries moving into the Metro Quad Cities and the radar over our traffic map. Let's get right to Storm Tracker Radar Network. Doppler radar is often used to show the intensity and location of precipitation like rain and snow. This is light to moderate rain. Lots of rain showers, heavy rain at that. You can see some of those darker greens and even yellows. Very light to moderate flurries. It's not going to be accumulating. And often sometimes used to show severe weather as well. The Weather Service saw a couple of scans with the tighter rotation, so they believe that the right thing to do is to have a tornado warning in effect here. It's something meteorologists use all the time on air and on websites and phone apps. But have we as a weather community stopped to think if this information is useful or intuitive to the people who use it? Uh, it looks like a bunch of green swirls, and then when you zoom in, there is yellow and red splotches in those green swirls. It looks pretty crazy. And that's my roommate, Christine. And she's telling me what she thinks she's seeing when she's looking at a radar product on her app. So what do you think the colors mean? Um, I think the orange and red is fire, maybe? Okay. Or like really high temperatures. Okay. And then the green, it looks like a warning almost. So I'm not sure what that means. Sometimes in our little weather community bubble, we think that people know exactly what we're talking about and how to interpret the products that we put out there. But that's not always the case. But to help us sort that out is Michelle Saunders, who's looking into if the public finds radar to be useful. Uh, so by understanding some of the reasons for why people find radar displays useful, we can maybe improve future technologies uh, so that we can make decision-making easier. It's Min. And it's Castle. And you're listening to Weather Hype, a podcast where we talk about weather, climate, and how it affects you. And today we're joined by Michelle Saunders, who is a PhD student at University of South Florida. And we'll be talking about weather radars and how people use that information. So stay tuned. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take your February and turn it into spring I was born on a storm when I get gone, I get gone And I don't need anyone to know better and today we're joined by Michelle Saunders, a PhD candidate at the University of South Florida. Hello, Michelle. Hi. Hey, guys. How are you? We're doing really, really good. Well, I don't know if I can speak for Castle, but I myself am doing pretty good. Yes, I'm doing great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, Michelle, where are you at right now? Are you in, is it Tampa that University of South Florida is in? Yes, yes. Uh, just in my apartment. Uh hanging out in Tampa. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never been to Tampa, but I've always wanted to. I heard it's a really, really nice place, so. It is nice, when it's not raining. <laughs> when it's not raining, yeah. I feel like it's been really, really wet in the south this whole summer. Um, yes. And speaking of wet and rain, um, can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about, see, that's how I segue. I'm really good at that. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about the research you're doing? Because that's uh, something that really piqued our interest, and that's why we kind of wanted you on our show. Yeah, so I'm really interested in how people are using Doppler radar Kind of in their daily lives to make decisions and just to understand what they're what they're doing with all this new technology that's available and why not just available but widely available so when you say doppler radar i think it's important that we kind of break that down for anyone 
who is listening who may not know what a Doppler radar is. Um, so Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what Doppler weather radars are? Yeah, definitely. Um, so specifically looking at the NixRad or the Next Generation radar, it's, um, it's able to measure both precipitation and wind. So the radar is going to emit a pulse or a beam, and it's uh, going to be of microwaves, which will then strike an object somewhere out in the atmosphere. So it could be rain, it could be dust, it could be a bug even. And then it's going to be scattered, and some of those waves are going to actually make it back to the radar. So once that pulse or beam makes it, uh, makes it back to the radar, a computer is able to then measure how long it took to get back, as well as the strength. So that strength or intensity will be measured in decibels or dBs. Great. And then, so we, uh, when we're thinking about the radar, what is kind of the history behind it? Because it seems like this great technology, but in actuality, it's been around for quite some time, right? Yes, it has. Um, so it wasn't really used for meteorological purposes until after the 1940s, into the 1950s. So after war times, after that, it was able to be kind of implemented into the American public on TV. So that's not really going to happen until closer to the 1960s, 1970s, once it, the technology not only becomes smaller, but able to become cheaper. And either local stations, as well as the Bureau at the time, were able to make those installations. Yeah, it's like, it's really intriguing to me to think that when I imagine the 1960s, which is when radar was first introduced to the American public, I'm thinking, you know, like they're sitting by their like black and white TVs in their living room, kind of like hanging out and watching the news. And I just can't even imagine what a radar looked like back then, you know, and then to think like that was a time where a lot of scientific things were happening, the race to the moon and, you know, mm -hmm. astronomy and, and stars and all this great stuff. And it really captivated everybody. I wonder how people took that when they looked at the TV and was like, oh, wow, like this weather radar thing that's telling us like when it's raining or, or how heavy it's raining and stuff, you know? Well, in the 1960s, it was the monochromatic um, coding theme. So it wasn't really until the 1980s when you actually have that color radar oh, imaging okay. available. So the WRS are 57 and 74, I believe, are the specific models um, in the 80s that had that color radar imaging. So originally it wouldn't have even been color, obviously. So Man, mm. so that's even harder to imagine yeah. what people were even looking at if it was just more of a novelty thing. Like, hey, look at our exclusive radar. But like no one really knew what it meant or I don't know, because I feel like we'll go into it later. But just in my experience, a lot of people don't know what a radar is or how to use it nowadays. So t to imagine like back then it being like black and white and on TV and people are just like, hmm, wonder what's happening, you know? Right. Yeah, I just think a lot of the a lot of the perception studies weren't really kind of that popular back then. And even if they were, I don't think anyone probably was like, oh, we should write this down. Um, so, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I don't know if that data exists anywhere. But if again, if anyone knows of any old books or old studies or anything, let Michelle know, because that would be a really cool thing Please, to, yeah. to look into. Yeah, I did. I did reference a few papers that kind of did a history of the pre-Nextrad era, mm -hmm. I was um, Roger Witten. So that was very helpful um, to kind of get the, the true history of how it went from being used in war times in being kind of transitioned over into the use for meteorological purposes with the Weather Bureau. Just to go into the, the weather radar, you had talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, when people are watching the news and, and the local news or, you know, weather channel or something like that, that's where a lot of people get that exposure to radar. And so we kind of wanted to break down some of these 
terms because we hear them all the time or you know i am cognizant of hearing it but a lot of times i'm like what if people don't really know what that means at all so yeah definitely the term base reflectivity um that's pretty much when you're looking at a radar and it, you have the green the yellow the red the different colors and that's kind of showing the amount of power or scattering that comes back that's detected by the radar and you said earlier it's about um decibels and that's how it's measured so when you see like a green it means like a lighter precipitation whether that's rain or snow and if you have like red or purple or white a lot of times that's indicative of heavier precipitation right Correct. okay and then the one that people see that isn't based reflectivity isn't based on the amount of or how heavy the precipitation is falling is velocity and so can you explain a little bit more about velocity velocity is going to be the radar product that's going to display the average wind speeds um so it's generally going to be um the colors are going to be red or green depending on the direction um, the wind is going in regards to the direction of the radar itself. Um, a lot of times you'll sometimes see like a purple on there as well, mm-hmm. which I guess could be confusing if you're not really familiar. Um, and then when people look at that information or if a meteorologist or um, other person is showing that information on TV to viewers, they're normally looking at the chance of a tornado or a possibility with the wind and the movement. That's the only when they're showing it, right? They're not going to just show it on a, like a normal blue right. sky sunny day. Exactly. And that's, that's definitely going to be reserved for severe weather. I just think I was just going to say, so the next time you're either... Um, looking at your phone or you're watching TV and you are trying to get this information, like those are kind of the two uh, go-to products that people usually show in regards to radar. So again, the base ref- reflectivity is kind of the 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 usual thing that you see with all the different colors and it really focuses in on intensity of precipitation. And then the base velocity is usually used on the severe weather um, times when you're looking for the, like rotation uh, or something. the rotation, the couplet. I don't. I don't want to use too much uh, vernacular, but and you know, I want to add in really quickly too that that's mainly what you see when you're looking at TV. But now with that um, evolution of seeing radar wherever you can on a website or on a smartphone, you can put like a storm tracker on your radar. You can turn on so many different layers. It seems you can look mm-hmm. at watches and warnings. You can look at, you know, where there might be hail. So it's getting pretty complicated. And um, I guess it kind of helps us to talk about a little bit with you, Michelle, about some of the research that you've done and understanding the usefulness of radar. So, so Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you were doing with this paper and uh, kind of give us a brief synopsis, if you don't mind? So this kind of all started with a class project and some kind of obser- personal observations uh, over the summer before I got down here at uh, USF. So I had kind of observed a few friends. We were going out to uh, a local river to go swimming. And I looked at the radar before we left, just in case, because it was summertime in Alabama. You never know. <laughs> True. And I was like, well, we might actually, we might want to wait a little bit, because, you know, there's there's a little bit of rain in the, the vicinity, you know, it's coming through. We might want to just hold off. And a friend of mine took a look and was like, you know, I don't know. I think we could, we could get in at least, like, 15 minutes. And I was like, hmm, that's, I don't know what you're looking at. <laughs> so it kind of just sparked uh, some interest. And there have been a couple other times over... Uh, the last couple of years that just watching or observing other people looking at it mm-hmm. and 
listening to what they're saying and I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. You know, what, what are your, how are you perceiving this differently than I am? Mm -hmm. So initially, at least with this data set, um, I was using it for a class project to actually practice my R and it kind of turned into this really interesting idea uh, with Kevin Ash and then uh, Jennifer Collins. The whole goal was really to understand if there were any patterns or important factors that might go into how people are determining whether or not radar is useful. And when we were looking at this data set, which is actually a questionnaire based from the National Weather Service to try to understand uh, their products for themselves, it, we actually were able to find a couple questions that asked people whether or not they found radar useful. And we were able to kind of use that along with a few other questions that became variables for us to try to understand whether or not there was any connections. So the cool part was we did actually discover that credibility was above all the most important connection to finding radar more useful. So we kind of define credibility as being familiar with the National Weather Service and its products. Um, also kind of the likelihood of taking action based on any National Weather Service information and also the sa how satisfied people were with the effects for, for the National Weather Service to explain an advisory, a watch, or a warning. So those were actually some things that we weren't expecting to find, but they were, they were really interesting. The average flash rate was uh, definitely uh, one of the more significant climatic variables that we had. And then we were also able to do a geographic analysis, and we definitely found out that the southeastern United States and the south central areas were most likely to find radar more useful than the northwestern United States. Oh, wow. So can you explain a little bit more about the flash density for those who may not be familiar with that uh, terminology? So flash rate density is just going to be kind of the average amount of lightning strikes uh, within an area. Okay, gotcha. So when you're looking at a radar um, and then they're looking at like different, uh, like other icons that show up for that or? Yeah, so it's actually not a, lightning is actually not a product that is usually available Yeah. Uh, with a radar display. Mm -hmm. Some I know on the market uh, or that are available for download do have kind of a either polygon or grid-like indicator if lightning is present. Others, if you are maybe paying for a nicer app, would actually give you that data. Mm -hmm. But at least for the National Weather Service radar map display that is referred to in this paper, it's just going to be your base, base reflectivity and base velocity. So lightning actually would not be a product available for this particular website. So. Gotcha. So I was just going to ask, um, so if it's not available, then why did they ask it on the satisfaction survey? Is it something they were trying to figure out if they provided ah. it, it might be more helpful or? So they actually did not. So hmm. in addition to questions, um, in addition to questions that we pulled as variables from the survey itself, we actually added a bunch of additional variables on our own. Gotcha. So that data, a lot of the, cli the climate data, we actually added ourselves uh, separate from the surveys. So that was actually the lightning imaging sensor. We got it from Cecil et al. 2014. We also had um, a few other variables that we added in. So like all of our climatic variables or climate variables were added. Uh, we also were looking at the distance from each person's zip code to their nearest mm -hmm. uh, radar as well. Oh, okay. So kind of looking for any possible accessibility mm -hmm. issues. 
are things like theme blockage where the you're actually not able to get a full scan due to an obstruction. That's something that's really not super common because the coverage of radars throughout the United States, especially those owned by the National Weather Service and maybe other exactly. agencies, the coverage is pretty good. But, you know, it's funny. I was out um, last week and I was in a part of Colorado, the southwestern part, and they don't get very good information from radars because they're kind of um, sandwiched in between some mountains. And so they, the radar can't really scan in that area. So a lot of times they don't really know what's coming their way until it's already over them. And so the National Weather Service... Right. And out west, out west is where that happens. Yeah. Definitely. It's, it's crazy with terrain. And so the local National Weather Service office that covers that region will actually call up the emergency manager in that local um, you know, municipality or county and ask him, you know, what's the weather like there so we can kind of verify what's going on because we don't have an ability to really see. And so in that situation, they've actually rented a radar from the University of Oklahoma to set up mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. remotely mm -hmm. so that the city and the community and the county can get better radar information. That tends to happen when, you know, after a major disaster has come through, like flooding or, or heavy rain. And they kind of want to make sure that they can forecast or have the ability to know that if, you know, flash flooding is going to happen again, then they can prepare everybody because they're already so badly affected by the previous disaster. So um, it's really interesting to, to kind of, you know, talk about geographic location of people to the radar, what you said, Michelle, about, you know, looking at people's zip code and how far mm -hmm. the way they are from radar, because that kind of stuff really does affect, you know, what usefulness you can get out of a weather radar in general. Definitely. So taking that information that you that you just kind of talked about with the the lightning data being re really important. So if the NWS were to kind of implement some sort of lightning into their like a real time lightning indicator on their weather radar that might increase uh, the perception of usefulness based on kind of your understanding of the paper, correct? Um, I think it could be possible. Yeah. I think it would be helpful to have um, a lightning monitoring or a way to get that information to the public sure. to help them monitor lightning, especially in areas like Florida where it's uh, definitely yes. a common <laughs> hazard. Yeah, I know. I, I really enjoy that feature on my... Um... Radar scope? Radar yeah. scope. Yeah. Yeah, I really That's like that I, feature. I have that so as helpful. well. It makes uh, real-time decision-making really effective. <laughs> <laughs> yes, especially... Um, so at least my personal use, um, especially in the summertime down here, I use it every day because I bike to, to my office. So I definitely want to make sure that I don't get caught in either a downpour or, you know, too close to any lightning in yeah. the area. So it's definitely helpful for when I'm making decisions. And it's, it's always interesting because I, I do have a window. I'm one of the few lucky grad students <laughs> that has a window in their office. And I see people running through the rain and I'm like, wow, like it's, if you had just, you know, took a few cues, maybe some environmental cues, mm -hmm. and then had this downloaded, maybe you would have had time to wait. I don't know. And that, that's that's kind of the thing is I, I don't know. And I, I have all these questions that I want answers for. That's so sure. good to hear that, you know, you said you're hanging out with friends and you guys are talking about this and it kind of inspired what you were doing. But yeah, a college campus is such a great way to you know, maybe not always do that formal research. You can kind of just look around and see and be inspired yeah, by yeah, like what's going research. on. Yeah, it's awesome because like how many times have we 
gone, you know, walked around campus or were, you know, again, like you staring out the window and seeing people like getting poured on. They have no umbrella. They have no raincoat. And it's like, okay, did you guys look at the weather forecast? Were you looking at your radar before you left? You know, do you have access to that information? And so for me, you know, I'm not normally caught in that situation because I look at my radar before I go out anywhere, especially like you said, in the South during, you know, summertime, it's always a chance that something's going to pop up right over you, you know? So it's interesting and, and great that you mentioned how you're taking different observations around you to kind of formulate your more formal scientific thought process of research. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's always it's always interesting to even in casual conversation, which obviously isn't any type of scientific research, but it's still so interesting and in whether such an easy topic to talk about. So mm-hmm. I really it's it's just almost like you're randomly getting new ideas and interviewing people on the fly pretty much anywhere. And it's it's an easy way to talk to, to strangers about just something that they experience every day. Yeah. And lately, I've, I found it really interesting. Instead of necessarily having a radar application, a lot of people use the percent of percent chance for the hour and they use it that way. Mm. So instead yes. of actually like knowing where their location is and potentially knowing where the precipitation is, they're still wanting to use either like a percentage or the, I think some apps have it where they'll tell you yeah, like it, it will be minutes. raining in 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, I don't, I guess maybe, and I'm a geographer, so maybe it's a kind of, I'm biased towards yeah, spatial, knowing spatial yeah. Yeah, cues. So I don't know if that's, it's probably my end of the, we're always going to have our own biases. So yeah. I have to remind myself of yeah. that. And I think that's a really interesting thing to, to bring up as well, because if like, let's say for me or for you or anybody, we're looking at a radar and there isn't anything now, but then, you know, summertime, it warms up, the day happens, there's thunderstorms that start to develop around, you know, the afternoon. So maybe even looking at a radar, it doesn't show anything at all. So it's hard for them to spatially visualize like what might be there in a couple of hours. But then that hourly forecast can give them a, you know, 60 or 70% chance of rain or or whatever. And so that to them is their way of of figuring it out. I like to use both to kind of compare and contrast and see, you know, is it showing like a 70% chance of rain in two hours and why? If the radar has nothing there, it's hard to me to to think that, you know, a bunch of storms are going to develop in the next two hours and, and, you know, completely overrun the area. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that people use that percentage as well, or they use a radar or both sometimes. And that is uh, definitely future research uh, that will be kind of woven into my dissertation. Oh, cool. Two more things to come. Yeah, the, all these stories are reminding me. I was in, and I told men this uh, a few weeks ago, but I was in a restaurant when we had a tornado warning go off for our area. And like I was watching all the Wii alerts go off like one by one from everyone oh, in the restaurant. Yeah. Um, and people would just look at it and then they put it back down on the table. And I was just like, like seriously freaking out because I was like, I can't believe... I just watched all these people receive an emergency alert and no one did anything. Um, So I immediately pulled up my radar and uh, saw that it was kind of, it was to our Southeast, but or actually our Southwest. um, And we weren't like super in danger of this happening, but no one else knew that. Right. And so it was just kind of a crazy uh, turn of events. But what I ended up doing was I went up to like the restaurant host and was like, there's a tornado warning. Is there a place where all of us can go if this kind of descends upon us? 
And they're like, no, not really, but we will do what we can if it gets to that point. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was kind of crazy. And then I proceeded to go uh, from table to table and kind of informing people of what was going on, what the plan was. And then luckily I found a friend that I went to college with and she was like, yeah, he's a meteorologist. So like she kind of helped boost my credibility in helping kind of relay (laughs) this information. So it was like a really weird uh, kind of like case study of, uh, of like real time decision making and communicating with one on one individuals. But I was giving people like radar lessons and showing them like where the couplet was. And um, it was just like a really bizarre experience. So it reminds me a lot of this kind of making sure people know the radar, but also like providing them that information so they know how to kind of interpret it themselves to make their own decisions. But if they don't even take the we alert, like seriously like ugh. yeah i think um with my research in, in smartphones and how people use their weather apps on their smartphones i definitely see a lot of um parallels to some of the work that you're doing and kind of the future direction of, of where your work is going because i know you had reached out to me and asked like did i ask anybody about radar use in my research study um and the only thing that i can remember right now is like that was an option of things that they found to be like they were confident in the accuracy of the product or confident in the information that they were receiving and so people did use radars uh, quite frequently um, from the three schools that i surveyed all of which were in the southeast so um it's just interesting to note that you were also saying that geographically people in the south found radar to be more useful is that correct mm-hmm. yes okay. southeast and south central yes yeah. interesting and do you think it's because they use that more often you know i'm actually not a hundred percent sure because and when you think about it with yeah the, that's true like oklahoma kind of the area. northwestern area you know generally at least climatologically speaking they get a lot of rain mm-hmm. but true. they actually found it to be less useful so yeah it'd be really interesting to get the, the real answer for why that was there's so many different things that come to my mind that could affect how people use a radar. Like, you know, out in the Midwest, you get a lot of intense um, supercell thunderstorms. You get tornadoes, severe thunderstorms, etc. Right. But then to me, it's like, okay, I don't necessarily need to use a radar because I can see everything for hundreds of miles. So I can see things coming my way. I, you know, I've never lived in the Midwest, but I would imagine that could be. But I mean, this is pure, purely speculation. I have no idea. <laughs> but, you know, it's fun to speculate sometimes. Uh, and I'm just like, man, yeah. you know, because in the South, you have trees everywhere. It's kind of hard to see where things happen. You get your, you know, typical garden variety thunderstorms that pop up. And that's like something you can't really, you know, show, like, you know, see all the time out in the open. But seeing using a radar might be more helpful to see if it's going to rain on you or not. But um, it's very interesting to see the geographical, what's that word I'm looking for? Significance, I guess, in the, mm-hmm. in the, uh, in the data. Um, right. and also you found that for those who visit weather.gov, which is the National Weather Service website that corresponds to a higher usefulness rating for looking at the NWS radar map. Yes. Um, so those that more frequently visited the site were more likely to find the radar display useful. Um, so I, we kind of decided that, especially with the familiarity with the National Weather Service and you know the frequency and use, you're you're obviously going to keep using something that you find to be useful. So it, it kind of made a lot of sense with the, the connection there. 
you mentioned that you used this data set and it was from the NWS customer satisfaction survey. So can you kind of break down what that is or what kind of, well, I guess we know what their goal was to see how satisfied they were, but um, can you maybe just tell us a little bit more about the NWS customer satisfaction survey? Yeah. So it was, um, it was a data set that we actually had access to online. Um, the data actually, I, I don't know why they made it unavailable, but we, if anyone ever needed it, we do have it. But at the time that we were using it, um, it was free access for anyone to use. So it was the it was done by the CFI group um, in 2014, and it okay. was specifically done for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and for NWS. So it was administered for any users of the National Weather Service website, so the weather.gov. And it, their primary goal was improving uh, any of their own products, so mm -hmm. the National Weather Service web services, so anything from forecasts to observations, but it also did include uh, their radar and satellite products. And that's what initially sparked our interest. Yeah, yeah. And it really, it consisted of 41 questions in total, and it covered like a, a variety of top, topics. Um, so anything from familiarity with the National Weather Service to some of their hazardous weather products, um, and then kind of decision support services, and even looking at like aviation and weather education. So there was a lot of things in there that we weren't necessarily interested in. Mm -hmm. But we were able to kind of, especially using the, the radar usefulness question uh, with a couple others to kind of select our variables. And in total, they had 31,307 yeah. people take their survey, which yeah, that's a lot. is a lot, yeah, it's a lot of people. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so it's, it was super, super awesome of the National Web Service to provide this to be used or at least available for people mm -hmm. um, because you know, as a graduate student, I'm not able to go out and survey 31,000 people yeah. on my own. I, even, even with, <laughs> even using online purposes, um, you know, just the feasibility of that is not possible. For, for real. And um, this was available. So participants, the way that they access this, uh, the link that was provided on both the national, or sorry, the national, regional, and local websites uh, through weather.gov. So. I mean, that was kind of the point in the first place. So obviously they were going to advertise mm -hmm. on their own page. And so when I was reading this, I thought this was a really cool way to think about um, kind of re-examining an old data set, which is something that we don't always see in kind of a lot of social science research. So I was wondering okay. if you could kind of maybe break down um, some of the opportunities and challenges that kind of, that you kind of came across when you were using this method. Yeah. Um, well, because we didn't develop the survey questions, um, right. they obviously weren't tailored to our research questions, mm -hmm. which was kind of a letdown, but that's obviously where future research is going to come in. Yeah. Um, some other issues um, that some of the terms in the survey were maybe not specifically defined, so there was a little bit of gray area, mm -hmm. and this could you know, kind of lead to some confusion, but we were able to kind of tailor it for what we needed. Um, at the same time, though, like I said, it was wonderful to be able to use such a very large and right. also geographically diverse data set. Yeah. Um, so, and to have them talk about kind of how they perceived at least the usefulness for themselves for their radar products for the weather.gov website. So it was pretty cool to be able to look at 31,000 responses. Now, we did end up narrowing it down. Um, we were, there was a question on there that asked kind of what they used the products mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. and it kind of broke it down by actually a number of things uh, i think there were maybe 17 or so categories so we really we only looked at those who said that they had the kind of a weather enthusiast or 
personal you know, something reasons outside or, of yeah, yeah personal reasons so kind of outside of just a job so they may have also included that they used it for say like aviation or agriculture but as long as they still put weather enthusiasts or personal reasons we included them in our our portion of the study yeah i think that question was like super helpful in narrowing down to really target the population that you were interested in looking at so i was right. really and glad obviously to see that. all of them all of them are going to be weather salient so yeah, yeah, yeah. that wasn't that wasn't even a question <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so you kind of just talked about this about kind of the challenge behind using this data set was that you couldn't create the survey questions yourself and so they weren't like really tied to any th- theoretical concepts in particular. Um, And one that you kind of talk about in depth in your paper is this idea that they don't really define usefulness. Um, And so I was wondering what you kind of interpret as usefulness or kind of your research team and how you kind of maneuvered around thinking through what do they mean by usefulness or um, something like that. Right, so with that lack of a definition, it's kind of how we put together the conceptual framework, mm-hmm. uh, which went through so many processes. And a shout out to uh, Dr. Morris for some of her insight on it. Um, that's kind of how we ended up. It's kind of a long definition, I guess, but yeah. um, that conceptual framework that ultimately uh, is what we use to kind of break down this whole project. So I would say ultimately usefulness became the end measure for all of those components. So if uh, if you haven't read it, it's going to look at things like intrinsic and extrinsic factors mm-hmm. for someone's motivation to view radar. Um, it's going to look at credibility of sources, uh, which is something that obviously came up a lot. Right. Uh, so how much does someone trust the source and maybe the confidence that they place in that source? And then it's also going to deal with their accessibility to radar, as well as any like kind of personal or infrastructural factors that go along with that. So whether it be beam blockage or the fact that they just don't have uh, internet or, you know, something like that. So each one of those components kind of went into how someone might find radar useful or not useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that your conceptual framework was really great. I think it helped um, kind of bolster this idea of usefulness and what we kind of mean by it when we're we're thinking about it. But I was also kind of uh, going pushing a different way was thinking about how maybe this could be not a, I don't want to say a wake up call, but um, kind of a incentive for the NWS to when they're conceptualizing their future customer satisfaction surveys, they may consider defining these things or um, paying more attention or being really precise in how they ask survey questions. Yeah, that's true. Well, so we wanted to do a comparison study as well, but the I'm trying to remember what year. I think it was maybe last year or the year before they had another one that came out. But the these questions they weren't all the same questions. Mm. So we weren't able to make a true comparison. Mm. The radar usefulness questions was not there. Oh that sucks. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. But you never know. Maybe they'll do future ones. (laughs) Yeah, just getting get into someone's ear and make sure they include that radar usefulness question. <laughs> and it, it's important to note, um, I mean, that question, our dependent variable, it was overall found to be 
mostly useful. Like no one really was <laughs> bringing it down. I mean, yeah, it, it was, was all heavily, greater than like, heavily skewed. Yeah, like yeah, greater so. than fifty-five or sixty percent. Yeah. Right? yeah. So most most of the participants, and when you think about that number, thirty-one thousand people. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, they definitely are finding this product useful and are going back to it time and time again. So. Shifting gears for just a little bit, I had a chance to sit down with my roommate and ask her about Radar and get her perceptions about how she is using it and kind of get some feedback about the usability and the utility she gains from using Radar. Here's part of the interview now. So can you tell me what you're looking at? You can describe it from like the different shapes, the colors, and whatever. Uh, it looks like a bunch of green swirls, and then when you zoom in, there is yellow and red splotches in those green swirls it looks pretty crazy okay so what do you think the colors mean um i think the orange and red is fire maybe okay or like really high temperatures okay and then the green it looks like a warning almost um so i'm not sure what that means it's yeah not apparent but i would just guess from the orange and red that that's high heat or fire okay and then when you're looking at this, can you scroll to like where we're located? Okay, hold on. Go up here. Okay, so, well, that's easy because there's just the marker location, the blue dot that's like hovering over where we are at right now in Denver. Does it help you to have that blue dot to uh, be able to locate us and stuff? Yeah, if okay. that weren't there, I it would have taken me a minute to actually get to where I think we are. Okay, gotcha. Do you ever use a radar on a day-to-day basis? No. No? Mm-mm. Do you think that you could if it were like a little bit more easy to understand? Or why don't you use it on a day-to-day basis? I think if I knew that it were accurate and that I could read the legend of all these colors and know like what it means for our area where we're located, then I would probably use it. Just looking understand. at it is kind of like, I'm not really sure what it means. I just know that those colors are there for some reason. Yeah. So what if I told you that the green means like lighter and then as it goes on to yellow and red, that means like the heavier the rain. Oh, okay. So that's rain. Yeah. Oh, okay. And now that I'm looking at the top, the there's like a rain icon. Mm-hmm. And so with like what you just said, I can tell that it goes from lower to higher by those colors. Yeah. So that makes more sense. So when you're looking at this right now, what what's happening in like the southeastern part of Colorado? Um, so it's heavier rain mm-hmm. in Kit Carson area, okay. and then surrounding and like Flagler, yeah. Um, that's just lighter rain areas. So I guess that helps a lot with the red. Anything else you want to add? Um, I kind of want to look to see where the purple on this is. So what do you think the purple means? So that looks like snow, but it also has the rain icon. Okay. So maybe those are just the colder areas. Okay. Um, I'm not really seeing it, though. I see mostly green. Is it just set to only showing rain right now? No, actually. So the purple, you're right about this. It's like a mix of rain and snow, but mm-hmm. that you don't see that as often unless it's like wintertime. The blue, you might see a little bit more... Um, and that's indicative of like snow. So lighter snow and then it gets to the darker blue, that's heavier snow. Okay, so 
right here, the purple with the rain and the snowflake, that's just like the medium between the rain legend and then the snow legend? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. So if you see this pink, it means like you're getting a mix of rain and snow in that current area. Okay. Yeah. Right now, there's not too much snow in the United States, but I think there's some snow over, like, in the mountains. You might see a little mm -hmm. bit of blue, like, kind of showing up and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Um, like, I know it's not necessarily snow season, but I just figured you might see some of that color mm -hmm. besides just the green. Yeah. Other question I had was you mentioned earlier that you have plans to kind of intertwine some other cool research into this as it's kind of preliminary. So I was wondering if you could kind of tease uh, some of your dissertation research or other ways that you're kind of uh, trying to conceptualize some of this information. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I get really excited when I talk about it. So Do it. Um, most of my friends and family are like, oh my, we've heard about this. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so like the next section, I, it's so exciting because the next section of this is going to kind of take this, the conceptual framework and kind of run with it even further. Ooh, okay, cool. So, and not only with that, and I, I don't want to give away too much, but um, I'm built, well, I've essentially built already my own survey instrument that will analyze different elements. So again, Great. looking at motivations for uh, radar use, and then uh, getting to create these questions to specifically address my research questions has been not only like a fun process, but it's, it's kind of like an ever ongoing process. Like I finally have to be like, okay, like they're done. And then I'll look at it again. Or like, even last night, I was getting ready to go to sleep. Like another idea like jumped in my head. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, okay, I gotta write it down, <laughs> like readjust it later. So and then the second part, because um, I'm, I'm kind of going to do two parts to the whole dissertation. So mm -hmm. the first one, looking at motivations uh, using a survey instrument. And then I really want us to make it a mixed methods yes. project. Love so those. the second part, and I, I finally did get to, to take an interviewing class, which was a lot of fun, a little different. and but Kind I, of intimidating, right? I really, right? really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's yes, so much. It's it is. so intensive. Um, so I really, uh, social scientists, they... Their methods are so incredibly detailed. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So the second part of my data collection, I want to use in-person interviews, and I'm going to look at kind of different scales that influence situational risk and outcomes. So maybe like categorize it as like spatial scales or temporal scales, mm. uh, things like that. Okay, so cool. you kind of mentioned it earlier, like the radar may not be, there, maybe there's no precipitation currently in your area, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. you know it's forecasted for later. So would someone maybe be able to understand, you know, it's it's obviously not affecting us now, but how am I going to use this tool in the future? Or oh, like yeah. if there is a line coming through and you're looking at the timing of it, is someone able to look at where they are on that map and in conjunction with where the storm is and kind of put the two in to put two and two together and make a decision in a, in a timely fashion? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Because yeah, sounds super cool. Using a radar isn't just about like, you know, just time scale or just spatial scale. There's a lot of different moving uh, targets that are kind of happening, and that makes it sometimes, you know, maybe not for us, but for other people, hard to understand what's going on. You have to understand the time and spatial component of a radar to be able to use it effectively. Exactly. Yeah, this is also making me think like whether like if they're using it one way and it doesn't work out, like how how likely are they to come back to it? Like, do they get frustrated that they 
aren't using it correctly in that one instance and then like how do they know in what instances to use it for and stuff Ooh, so that's i can see how that could be how that could be really and I think, like, for, at least for maybe our generation and obviously generations before us i mean it's been a widely used tool that i feel like most people if you ask them they've at least they they know what radar is and they've at least seen it obviously mm-hmm. but i would be curious to know maybe for really the next couple of generations coming up where you're not having as many people watching the news where you may have seen radar before, where are they getting their information and how are they using different technologies to make decisions? Can I ask a question for both of you guys real quick? Um, Sure. Yeah. So I've asked people about radar or how they interpret it and how they use it. And I've heard some really grossly inaccurate ways that they're using it. So I was wondering from both of you, what's the what's one thing you've heard from maybe talking to somebody where they're like, yeah, I use my radar and this is how I use it and this is how I understand it. What's the one of the weirdest things or most inaccurate things you've heard and have, did you work to like kind of help them understand the reality of what it actually is doing? Because for me, people didn't understand the color and so they thought the color meant the distance away from them. They didn't know that the color meant oh, the intensity, intensity of the precipitation. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Do you guys have any like examples or have you guys trying talk to talk to people? <laughs> yeah, Talking it was to people. Nothing What's that? like I would say like nothing horribly like wrong or inaccurate. If anything, it's just kind of maybe the timing of things. Okay. And I mean, especially in Florida with the, the summer pop-ups, I mean, the radar is already it's just showing what is basically already occurred mm-hmm. after it's bounced back. Yeah. So it's sometimes I think maybe people think it's misleading or it could be misleading if it kind of breaks up or dies out before it gets to their location. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, well, but, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe they're not, like, familiar with the processes behind it. Sure. But um, that's the only thing I can really think of. Okay. I mean, that's even happened to me where you're like, oh, yeah, it's definitely coming through. And then <laughs> it kind of fades out before it gets to oh, you. Yeah. And then you look like you lied. Yeah. <laughs> well, been there, done that. I know how you feel. Yeah. Um, Castle, have you talked I to anybody? I think for me... I think for me, it's just like I immediately think of my parents and when they look at the radar, they just look at it like it's something that is coming. They don't necessarily differentiate the different levels of intensity. Okay. They're just like something is coming toward me, you know? Yeah. So it's not like the different levels of intensity are providing any more information that is helpful for them. It's just like something Hmm. is coming. Okay. I think is the, the only thing that I can really think of. Which, like, to me is so interesting because there's so much value in in all the great products that we use, either on TV or however. But, again, it goes down to the point of if people don't really understand what we're saying or what it's being used for, it's, like, lost on them in a way. And not to say that's, you know, a bad thing. It's not their fault necessarily. Maybe we need to do a better job of educating people or or whatever. But there's so much information that we have but it feels like people are living in, you know, the dark ages in a sense, like, you know, <laughs> the radar knowledge that they understand of like something is coming, but we don't know what is information that would be like from the 1970s or 80s where, you know, maybe mm-hmm. radar wasn't as sophisticated, but we have such a good capability of knowing like when things are going to happen, when, you know, and it's just it's so interesting to me that a lot of people aren't able to fully take advantage of the, you know how far we've come in the weather in the weather field you know yeah definitely yeah. and i think that'll i uh, one i mean the first instrument um 
actually that I'll use in the survey is looking at weather salience. So that I think that's kind of maybe the first question to ask. I think that'll really maybe determine whether or not they're interested in other technologies or other products that are out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important that when we built these tools, I don't know if they were necessarily for like a wide audience. And so now we're like, we've obviously integrated them into everyone seeing them. And so now I think it's almost to the point where we need to ask questions like, should we go back to uh, like square one and ask people like what makes sense to them and build some sort of new product from a customer Hmm. perspective. And I think that's happening too. Um, Yeah. Castle, because I, because, you know, you can look at a radar and see, okay, is there a couplet for a tornado or is there like a hook for, you know, indicating a tornado? Is there like the swirl that people put on there? There's like a swirl that the broadcasters. Yeah. So now there are like different symbols that you can pull up. Mm -hmm. Like if you use a radar, a lot of times um, WSI or whatever broadcaster, uh, you know, product they're using, there will be like, oh, there's a uh, funnel cloud symbol that pops up over this area that indicates that there could be some rotation or maybe a funnel cloud or tornado in this area. So I think Mm -hmm. there's definitely we're moving in that direction. But I I feel you so much on on what you're saying, like a lot of stuff that we're using, we can still continue to use it behind the scenes as meteorologists. But maybe the stuff that we're showing on TV could be a little bit more simplistic, because um, I can guarantee you a lot of people probably have no idea what those colors are, you know, happening. Not only do you have like the red and green from velocity, you could pull up like, you know, storm based velocity or other types of products like (laughs) you know, vertical integrated liquid or blah, blah, blah. And people are like, what is that? What is an echo top? Like, I'm not, this is just, you know, so many terminology and words that we use Mm -hmm. as meteorologists, but you know, a lot of people don't understand what that means. And I think when you're, I guess we have to put ourselves in a broadcaster perspective as well. um, Because a lot of times when they're going through that severe weather coverage, they are looking at it as they're showing it to you. They're just, they have a mirror image of their radar screen showed on TV. So they're kind of investigating and looking around while they're talking to you out loud. So a lot of things that they're showing, they're not really meaning to show you, but that's the only way they can really do it with a one man or two man team. And so they're kind of looking at the radar live as they're, it's being broadcast on TV, but they don't, you know what I mean? Like that it's, it's not necessarily yeah. what they want to show, but it's all they can really show because they're trying to figure out the yeah. radar themselves kind of thing. Sorry, tangent. <laughs> no, 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 you're yeah. good. I think it's, but it's, it really goes back to thinking a lot about like, what is the message that we're sending to? Yeah. And the radar, even though it's not a verbal message, like it's sending a message in mm-hmm. a certain way. Yeah. Um. So it's just interesting to think about. And there's actually some research that our friend, Dr. Gina Esco has done for her dissertation that goes into this idea of showing a radar image to someone when there's a tornado warning versus showing them like actual footage of the tornado or Mm -hmm. damage of the tornado and the difference between those different things and how that really emphasizes people to take action or not. Um, So there's a lot of really cool stuff out there dealing with radar. The other thing I really wanted to bring up uh, rather quickly is the idea before we started talking about um, the topic we just discussed, um, Michelle, you brought up the idea of thinking about the generations after us or before us, the younger individuals and how they are, the younger generation. yeah, and how they are interpreting radar. And I wanted to get your perspective on 
using the Snapchat map because I noticed that recently it's starting to show weather on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, are you serious? Yeah, so it shows like when it's raining um, in certain areas and when it's not. So it can theoretically, I guess, be used as its own type of radar that's not necessarily showing blobs of color, but showing patches of rain and um, stuff. So I didn't actually, I that's the first I'm hearing of this, so I will have to check that out. Yeah, so that might be a way that the younger generations are getting this type of information. I did not know that. The younger generations. The younger. It makes me sound so old. The children. <laughs> the, Wait, the youngins. so you, speaking you of generation, are we all millennials or what's the younger generation? Yeah. Are they not millennials anymore? Or are we all still millennials? Like, I don't understand. No. What's the cutoff? I think millennials. I think that ended, I think that, that ends in what, like 19, I think that is technically supposed to be 1984 or 5. Through. Yeah like 2000 so like high school kids so, nowadays yeah, aren't millennials like kind of i don't generate no, I don't no think they're they not are. oh no maybe actually maybe it ended in like 1990 yeah 1996 or, yeah 1995 or 6 it says generation z yeah, is the, okay. the next gen z the next yeah because the students the students i just had were not uh were not millennials okay that's right yeah so interesting how we categorize groups of uh, people based on our ages but it, mm-hmm. it, it is helpful sometimes <laughs> anyway <laughs> do you guys have any last thoughts or castle do you want to wrap it up with three things sh- we should take yeah away? i was gonna uh, yeah i was gonna ask if michelle had any questions for us before we wrapped it up um actually uh one for min uh, did you sure. how were you getting your master's stuff published and if so <gasps> Exciting. That's, that's so timely that you would ask. So um, oh. I just finished the final proof of the BAMS article for my thesis uh, on the smartphone weather apps yesterday. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so it'll awesome. be, well, it'll be out in November. Probably, I, okay, I want to read it, so... No, no, no. I, I remember you had talked to me about it and everything was crazy and, and things weren't published for a while, but now it's finally happening and November is when they're Hooray. actually going to print it which is super exciting so yeah congrats awesome so with that we always like to round out the podcast with uh kind of takeaway points that we want our listeners to walk away with and maybe inform other people about what they heard on this episode so yeah um, michelle what are maybe three things that you want our listeners to walk away with about weather radars more broadly but also your study so i think at least in terms of like a big takeaway specific to the paper was that all four of those credibility factors uh, of the National Weather Service were, were, you know, they best predicted Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not a radar map was useful. So I think that in itself says a lot. And I think especially in today's realm, I think that's really important. So I, I definitely think it's to highlight the credibility would be my number one. I would say for the second thing, um, that understanding how and why we're using technology that's available to us has become kind of increasingly important. So especially if decision-making and using technology for something that could be life-threatening, I think trying to understand what technology is available to us and how we're using it, why we're using it, are important questions to ask. Uh, So by understanding some of the reasons for why people find radar displays useful, we can maybe improve future technologies uh, so that we can make decision-making easier for pretty much everybody, not just not just meteorologists or emergency managers, but anybody who wants to use the technology that's widely available. Yeah, And sure. the last thing I would say, if you don't use 
an app on your phone that either has weather radar or, you know, a designated app that is a weather radar, I would ask yourself why you're not using it and <laughs> email me. Like, I would love to know because, like, if in a perfect world, my my survey would be able to address people who use it, but then also ask questions to those who don't use it. Yeah. I think it's valuable to understand both sides of that. For sure. Um, like maybe we're missing something. Maybe it's maybe it's something as simple as adding something that would make it either more user friendly or more interesting or helpful. So I think you know if you're not using it, uh, yeah, just ask yourself, you know, why why haven't I adapted or adopted this technology? So I wonder if you know how like sometimes when you get a new app or you're on a website, it's like it gives you like a walkthrough mm-hmm. of what things are. I wonder if yeah. having a walkthrough would be helpful for a radar. Like this is what this means. This is what this means. If you're looking for this, you go here. Right. Because I think it could be kind of overwhelming to just be dumped with all of these products into your lap and not know like where to go for what thing. So like targeting like the self-efficacy of it. Um, hmm, yeah. So I wonder if that might be kind of an incentive for people who, because I have a feeling that people may not use radar because it seems kind of daunting and overwhelming and just not really helpful because they don't know how to interpret what everything is like going on. I so, want to say that I've know. seen, I've like the weather channel app that I download on my uh, iPad. I think when I first uh-huh. downloaded it, it had like little white cute cartoon arrows like, you know, this is where you go for the hourly. This is where you go for this mm. or that. So I think okay. hopefully there, you know, companies or, or, you know, people who are providing those products are doing that. Um, and secondly, to Michelle's point, I've actually talked to friends who don't use radar. And one reason somebody gave me was she was like, if I get rained on, I get rained on. Like, it's whatever. It's not a big deal to me. So okay. I, it's not a really a good reason, but hmm. it's just their own personal preference. Like, they don't care if they get wet. Or they don't care exactly. if something happens. She's like, I've never used really radar at all. I take the subway to get to work. So I'm underground and I get, you know, but if I'm walking outside, if I get rained on, I'll just stop inside of a building and, and hopefully the rain will pass, you know? So it's really interesting just to hear that because I was like, huh. huh, you could avoid like being wet altogether if, if you looked. Yeah. But, <laughs> but at the same time, again, the importance that people have, like they have their own right. priorities and that clearly isn't one yep. of them and, and not to blame them for it. Like that's that's their life and that's their choice for sure. Hmm. <laughs> huh. hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Oh, Lord. But um, um, if you... if you I like, oh, I like to stay dry. <laughs> so, <laughs> but if you would like to know more about weather radars and how you can use your weather radar on your app, we will have a lot of links on our website um, that kind of correspond to walking you through these different things and different uh, aspects of the weather radar. And Michelle, if people want to reach out to you, what uh, maybe your Twitter handle or an email that people can reach you at? Uh, could you provide that for people? Yeah, sure. Uh, Twitter handle is WXMichelleS. Um, and then email actually is probably, well, that would be fine for short, quick things. But um, my my email, my school address would just be msaunders1 at mail.usf.edu. That's probably the best way to reach me. I'm pretty pretty quick with email awesome and we'll definitely awesome. share that with still everyone getting listening into too. twitter <laughs> yes, we <will>. twitter is <laughs> still very new <laughs> yeah it's hard to have a long conversation on twitter but you know what by golly people do try and yeah, it gets crazy it. yes they do <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's really good for quick things, but if there's anything that requires more than like three back and forth, and like email is just so much easier. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, uh, Michelle, thanks so much for being on. Really appreciate having yeah, you on. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. This is awesome. And with Castle being a little under the weather right now, I'm going to do the outro and let you guys know that you can find us in a variety of places, including facebook.com slash weatherhype or weatherhypepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype. And you can also find us, um, what else does he normally say? I don't even remember. Oops. Well, uh, you can leave reviews (laughs) for us as always. Oh, Gmail. You can email us at weatherhype at gmail.com. That's what he normally says. Oops, my bad. Um, and anyway, that was our episode. And until next time, stay hyped. And this is when Castle also says stay hyped. And we sync it together in editing. All right, cool. Bye, guys. All right, cool. So can you tell me your name? Christine. All right, so... Oh, I should have made up a name. <laughs> I'm <laughs> Felicity. <laughs> What's your alter ego? I don't know. I don't have one. <laughs> okay. I should have just made something up. <laughs>